Hey James, do you mm -hmm. want to talk about Criminal Minds? Oh my oh, god! Oh my god, I forgot we were doing a podcast for Wheels Up with Criminal Minds. We are indeed. We are talking about Season 1, Episode 15, Unfinished Business. A better episode than I think either of us thought it would be. Will I ever choose to rewatch it again? No. Was it pretty good? Yo. Yeah, it was like pretty good. Wheels operating normally. I give I'm, it. I'm a pretty wheels neutral. Yeah. On this one. I'll give it but a no, like, no no real problem. I go wheels up. I go wheels up on this one because I do really like that it's like a Gideon mirror episode. Sure. I'll explain what I mean by that when we get into it, but like I really like that it is a mirror episode mm -hmm. so early on into this character journey. Yeah. And I liked it. I'm going to save you know those pictures I shared with you. I'll save talking about it for mm -hmm. the end. But there are a lot of little touches in this show that I really did enjoy that just kind of like kicked it up a notch for me yeah it's like actually really <laughs> we're being so vague we're just like praising the show without actually talking about anything that happens in yeah it. let's just get into it because <laughs> yeah. i think this is this episode does a lot of interesting things and i think it's best if we talk about it within the context of this episode and not just be vague so yeah. lead us in james wonderful we are in washington dc we are at the J. Miller Bookstore, which does not exist, looking at a slideshow of women. Dead women, I should be um, specific. <laughs> they are dead. So rarely on this show are we looking at a slideshow of live women, so. Yeah. Oh my god, can I tell you something? I recently found a website that ran from like 2005 to 2016 called like Criminal Minds Fanatics. Uh, and I have been going backwards in time through this blog. I think I'm on like I'm in 2007 right now <laughs> um but I found some uh wonderful pictures um but also oh, yeah. like I learned a couple cute tidbits from the pictures so like you know the wall in the BAU that has like the pictures of like the dead policemen and stuff mm -hmm. yeah those are all like the crew members they all got to take oh, really? like a yeah because, like, I found on the website pictures of the crew members, like, posing besides the pictures of themselves on the wall. Oh, that's a neat, like, behind-the-scenes tip. Yeah. I like, like that. You know, I think we talked about it when I listened to the audio commentary for Derailed, that, like, a lot of the pictures of unsubs and stuff are crew members and crew members' family. Or, like, hey, you want to come <laughs> in and play, like, a dead person? Yeah, but it didn't occur to me that, like, random pictures of FBI people would also just be, like, the crew. Yeah, literally like just that. the costume department that day. Yeah, literally. Yeah, I love that. Love it. Yeah. Um anyway, I bring it up because I was like looking at those pictures of women and I was like, oh, that's deaf, like, you know, people's girlfriends and stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So Max Ryan is giving a presentation on the Keystone Killer. Um, if you don't know Pennsylvania is the Keystone State. Right away we know where we're where we're going with it. Um, I know that because Alison Bechtel is from Pennsylvania. Um, I didn't know that at all. So I just learned something right off the bat. <laughs> you didn't know that? Oh my I, God. I don't know. Why is it the cult? What kind of lesbian state? are you? Well, no, I I know who Alison Bechtel is. I don't know that Pennsylvania is called the Keystone State. Do I look like a motherfucker who gives a shit about geography? I don't no. either. One of the songs from the musical, she just talks about it. She's like, and this is a Keystone because Pennsylvania is the Keystone State. I don't know. Rocks are neat. 
Rocks are neat. Anyway. Let's talk about Criminal Minds. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Max Ryan has written a book called Houses of Horror, The Hunt for the Keystone Killer. He was active 18 years ago. He killed, I think, seven women. And he communicated in um, like a letter matrix, kind of like a crossword puzzle. Um, and he would like taunt the police. He fueled the media's fascination with himself. And like, they always knew the letters were legit because the, you know, puzzle they got would have clues from the previous crime scene and the next crime scene. So yeah, he was kind of like, he just like taunted them forever. Um, Mm -hmm. when he stopped killing 18 years ago, the Philly PD thought that he was in jail for another crime or that he'd moved away. But Max Ryan, who I'm from now I'm going to call Ryan, was like, no, because Vicap would have caught him. Um, because Vicap's like the system for serial killers or whatever. Except I'm pretty sure it's like still new in 2005. Yeah, so I, like- think Vi- I think they make a whole deal. The Vicap, by the way, is the Violent Criminal Apprehension Program, Vicap. Um, and it was, I think it was only made in 19, it was only made in like 1985, but, um, it wasn't like, it didn't become a good thing. It wasn't like good or inclusive until like 2008. I was going to say, because in the show, in the early seasons, like they go to interview people for Vicap like several times, like in Derailed, that's what Elle's off to do. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last episode, uh, Ride the Lightning, they were going to interview like a serial couple because there weren't any in Vicap, you know. So I don't know why he's so sure that Vicap would have caught them. But anyway, I think it makes perfect sense for this weird FBI career guy to put all of his faith in a system that's still sort of a little broken at that point, you know? It's just like a big Excel document. Yeah, literally. At that point, it's just an Excel spreadsheet that somebody's really meticulous about. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it's just like a yearbook. Um, Okay, and then the other theory is that the Keystone Killer died. And... Max Ryan is all like, no, I would know if he had died. Real creepy-like. He immediately, from the first scene you see him in, he is Suspicious. the worst, the worst, <laughs> the worst, I think. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I confused this episode for an episode of Resilient Isles because I 100% thought he was the, the one Keystone doing the killing. killing. Not that he had been originally, but that like he was doing it now because there's an episode of Resilient Isles where someone starts killing just like an old case and like the guy, someone got put away in prison for it, but the lead detective like never thought it was him. So the lead detective starts killing in that manner so that he can draw out the real killer and it works. Um, but he did also become a murderer. So I thought that this was going to be like Ryan oh. so obsessed with the Keystone Killer that he's like, I'm going to like, like, I know everything about him. I know him better than he knows himself. I'm going to become him and then I'll figure out like who it is. Like, I thought it was going to be some sort of like obsession gone too far. 
Um, but no, he just turns out to have been right the whole time, which is kind of boring, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was like, like they, they really try and like teach him a lesson in this episode, but it doesn't work because he was kind of right the whole time. So like, why would he be like, damn, but I was mean about it though. It's here's the thing about this episode. Mm. They set it up very early on as what I call like a mirror episode, which is where one of the main characters gets an uncomfortable mirror held up to themselves, basically. So in this case, Ryan is very much like the mirror to Gideon. And I think it's very interesting to see where Ryan is currently to where Gideon started off. Because if you remember in the very beginning, he had all these troubles working with the team as well. So I think it's interesting to play them off of each other in this way. And they were both right the whole time. I will also say, though, that I think he's a mirror for Elle as well. You know, like kind of like a future, this is what you could become, dun, dun, dun kind of thing. You know, because Elle goes through that kind of journey in this episode of being like, fuck, I don't want to be like that guy. Um, Yeah, I think they make Elle worry about her future more than any other BAU agent. Elle had the chance of being a normal person. Yeah. (laughs) And then they destroyed her. Yeah. Yeah. I think she worries about the future more than any BAU agent, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, Okay, so we see Gideon watching the lecture. Uh, We learned that the Keystone Killer had this, like, intricate knot signature. Like, he would tie their hands with this, like, really intense knot. And it was, like, purely for... Um, decoration and purely for like the satisfaction of having done it he like didn't need it to subdue his victims but it made him feel mm-hmm. powerful I guess that he had the time to sit there and do this crazy knot mm-hmm. um, yeah so and Max Ryan we learned so much about this dude immediately Max Ryan says that everyone thinks he's a compulsive psychopath and that he's killing because he has to and Ryan is like no I think he's a narcissist excuse me narcissistic sociopath who chooses to kill mm-hmm. i i don't think so that he chooses to kill because the whole thing of why he started killing again was that he had had a, a list of women yeah. he wanted to kill and now he was physically able to he was going to go back and do it like i don't didn't feel like a choice it felt like he was like i you know there are unwritten chapters i have unfinished business etc i have to go finish it mm-hmm Yeah, I think, I don't think they do anything to back up that phrase that Ryan says at all during this episode. He also doesn't seem very narcissistic when we meet him. He's just like a guy. He's definitely like a bad dude. He's definitely not a good person. But he's not like, and I got away with it for 25 years, you know? (laughs) I don't know. It's... He's not a Scooby-Doo villain who would have gotten away for it with it if it weren't for those meddling kids. Yeah. He is fully just a bad person who murdered people. Yeah. But also, I don't know if he screamed like narcissist to me. I don't think he did. Um, anyway, we find out that Ryan's a retired BAU member who's still chasing the one that got away. Um, and Gideon's like, hey, Ryan, you might be wrong. And Ryan's like, I'm not wrong. Uh, and guess what? He isn't. Uh, a security Which is unfortunate because God, I wanted to see this man be wrong so fucking bad. 
I wanted to see this dude get his shit rocked so bad. Yeah. Like, I wanted him to either be, like, super fucking wrong or be the villain. And instead, he just got to do what every other, like, upper middle-aged white dude dude with money gets to do. He's just like, oh, yeah, I was right. Everything is fine. Now I'll be nice to you. I'm satisfied. Maybe I just don't like the Gideon archetype of, like, I'm right, but I will be mean about it. Who likes that archetype? Don't you hate yeah, Jason Gideon? Yeah, I hate Jason Gideon. So why I would you? Like why would dude. you? Why would you like? I don't, I don't know. Like I was like, maybe the reason I don't like this dude is because he so closely mirrors Gideon and everything Gideon stands for. Yeah. Maybe that's why. I just sorry. I just had that moment of revelation within myself. Wow. <laughs> I feel maybe like I don't like people who are correct but mean about it. You know. I feel like the difference between them, and and I don't know if I, I can't qualify it and say it's, if it's good or bad but i think the difference is that gideon like knows he's part of a team he's just very confident that he is the leader of that team but also you know? i think in the first few episodes episodes gideon was not no like he wasn't like i'm a member of a team he was like i'm jason gideon i'm right let's go you, you know? know and they they do have rossi does that exact same thing yep they All like, of their old guys do the same thing. Yeah, they really were like men of a certain... Can you imagine the vibe in the office when it was like Rossi, Gideon, Max Ryan? Just like, did they all just sit in silence and then one of them would just get up and leave and catch the guy? Like, what, what was that team dynamic? Well, I think they kind of alluded to it of like, they didn't work as a team. They worked separately. Right. Like Ryan, Ryan even talks about it. He's like, we did the solo back in the day. And he's like, yeah. And Gideon is like, yeah. And we were wrong sometimes. Yeah. So just, I think it wasn't as much of a team dynamic as in like, these people are under the same, the same umbrella for HR to qualify them. You know, like <laughs> just, I they work in the same like, office, Yeah, exactly. but they don't work together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They share an office space and that's about it. Yeah. A tiny office space. Okay, a security guard brings a letter, and Mark Grant is like, ha ha ha, fan mail. <laughs> um, and it kind of is. It's a new puzzle from the Keystone Killer. Dun dun dun. And Mark Ryan is like, where is he? Who got this to you? And they're like, oh, it was a guy in a blue jacket. And he like grabs the, like just the man next to him who's wearing a blue jacket. And the security guard is like, dude, what the fuck? It's not him. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so in the note, it says that he's going to start again. There's like the last chapters aren't written. I need to finish the story. Um, here are two IDs of the women killed. So yeah, he, so it's the ID of the last woman who was killed in the eighties or whatever. Yeah. Amy Jennings. And then it is a new ID for a new woman. Yeah. Carla Bromwell, which I'm so sorry, Carla Bromwell. What a name! What a name! Yeah, okay. Cut to the BAU. L, Derek, Reed, and Hotch are coming in. It's Saturday night. L and Derek are like, What the fuck? You expect us to just like drop everything on a Saturday night? And Reed's like, I'm excited. Mark Ryan did this job. Did you, did everyone know that? He did this job. He... And, like, he caught the Boise child killer or whatever. <laughs> okay. This made me laugh when they said that. Because remember in Derailed, 
Elle is gonna go interview the child killer, the child murderer. I was like, like... (laughs) I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Is this the same child murderer? (laughs) Or is there like the child murderer? And then like under him, it's like the Boise child killer. The, (laughs) you know, Elle is like, what is he like? And Hotch says, pretty intense, brusque, not much of a bedside manner. And Al says, who does that sound like? You know, it's so funny that you say he's a mirror for Gideon because I totally read that line as him being a mirror for like Hotch. Like it really felt like Max Ryan was kind of like an amalgamation of all of the worst qualities of the BAU. You know, like he had Elle's snappishness. He was away from his family, the way that like Mm -hmm. Gideon and Hotch were. Mm -hmm. He was like doubting everyone like Derek does. Um, He's nothing like Spencer Reed because Spencer's a baby in season one and he's perfect in season one. <laughs> you ever see a he's kid perfect. and you're like the writers ruin him. You ever see a kid and you're like, please stay this young forever. That's me with Spencer reading season one. <laughs> he's, he is a beautiful, perfect baby in season one. I I don't know, like I think what stands out to me maybe is the way that um because like Hodge I don't know. Hodge is also like secretly a smiley good guy with a good bedside manner if he needs to be, you know? Floppy haired boy. He's a floppy haired boy in season <laughs> one. Like, yeah. With his ill fitting suits. I don't know. It doesn't, he doesn't read to me as much of a mirror for L or Aaron yeah. as he does for Gideon because the Gideonness is yeah. just very overwhelming to me. Well, I think, you know, you're, I, I do think you're right that he is supposed to be like, look how he, how much he's like Gideon, like, look at these men of a certain age. Um, but I do think that he's kind of like represents the end they're all um, heading toward because when, when they mention like, oh, Al goes, you know, I thought he was retired, some retirement and Derek's like, yeah, he retired BAU style. They look at the new puzzle and there's a quote on it um, that I didn't write down, but it's a quote by John Steinbeck from his novel East of Eden. And I looked it up and East of Eden is basically like a um parallel to the story of Cain and Abel which makes sense for like Keystone Killer and Ma- Max Ryan you know similar yeah. but yeah and then I I found a quote that John Steinbeck said about his book East of Eden he said I think everything else I have written has been in a sense practice for this which was his quote uh-huh. about East of Eden so I thought it was interesting that they chose a book that like was this man's magnum opus that he considered his like best work you know yeah Um, that's interesting yeah and like this is like the guy's like i'm coming back to finish my killing everything else was practiced for this you know Mm -hmm. so i thought that was i thought that was really interesting um yeah i love your little fun facts oh thank you so much i have a few in here (laughs) um so then (laughs) derek was like wait he was like in your lecture and you let him get away and max ryan goes would we have woken you up if he if we had found him and Derek's like damn and part of me was like <laughs> part of me was like don't be rude to Derek." and then part of me was like thank you <laughs> like this is Derek yet again being like sorry why am i here and someone's finally like because it's your fucking job Derek morgan <laughs> like <laughs> i was just like thank you um 
But also, I was like, how dare you talk to my man, Derek Morgan, like that? <laughs> Only I'm allowed to judge Derek Morgan. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So they're talking about how Amy Jennings was his last victim and Mark Bryan says his last known victim. Bum, bum, bum. He might have been killing this whole time. But then like, when he said that, I was like, bro, you just said he hasn't been killing or by cap would have caught it. And now you're like, but maybe he was though. <laughs> well, I pick, I pictured that more as like the last known victim. And then he had that other driver's license. So he was like, there's probably another victim. Well, they had already found her by then. So it's like, Damn. we yeah, do. Yeah, maybe what was up, what was up yeah. with that guy? Hey, Criminal Ryan's writers, get it together. What's up with um, that guy that you made? Yeah, what's up with that bad boy you made? <laughs> hey guys, you know the boy creation process? You've done it bad here, and I want to just know what's up. Reed has a word search montage. He's I like, love his word search montages this uh, episode. <laughs> he like looks at this paper, and the letters are swimming, and they're flashing. I remembered this when it started, because I was like, okay, but like 20 words flash at you. How did you decide these were the important ones? <laughs> Uh, let's just read being big brain. He's just such a big brain boy. He finds the word black bra and gray wool socks, which is what Amy Jennings, the last victim, was wearing when she was found. And then he also finds the words no fight and rear window, um, which come to mean nothing. Well, no, that one's more about the other case, right? Because like no fight means that he hit her on the fucking head and she was just conked. Yeah. She was putting up no fight after that point. Yeah, but like the rear window didn't make any sense. Yeah, that that came to nothing except an excuse for Ryan to be mean to Elle. I wonder though, there are so many references to movies in this episode. I wonder if it was rear window like... The Alfred Hitchcock film? Because the killer was injured and then he started taking pictures which is what happens in Real Window, right? He, like, gets in an accident. He can't use his legs, so he starts taking pictures of his neighbors. He sees a murder through the window and basically has to, like, solve or stop a murder. murder. Yeah. So I, like, wonder if, like, the reference of Real Window was not I came in through the back window of her house and more I was injured for a very long time and now I'm a photographer, but in a crime way. You know? Like, I wonder... If like, because East of Eden was a 1952 book turned into a movie uh, Mm -hmm. and Rear Window is old. (laughs) It is. It is. And for those who don't know, it's a 1950s um, mystery thriller uh, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, you got to watch it, though, for real. It's so good. It is. It's Um, a very good movie. And once you watch it, you'll see how many shows have Rear Window episodes. Like, yeah. so many shows will do, like, a real window episode, which I love it. And they also, he quotes um, Sir Francis Bacon at one point, And then Gideon quotes uh, His Girl Friday. It was just like, why are we having this? I guess because it's an episode about, like, old men. So they keep quoting these, like, <laughs> old-ass old movie. movies. Yeah. Uh, anyway. So, yeah. So I think Real Window, they misinterpreted it. I think it was a movie reference. Um, they're talking about the IDs one of the IDs is the last victim one of it's a new victim 
Um, but then the new victim was suffocated, not strangled, which really throws them off because um, it's a new MO. And, and that weird knot is nowhere to be found. Yeah, he used flexicuffs. Um, and then Max Ryan has this weird moment where he was like, I would know if the Keystone Killer was active again. I would know. And I was like, okay, Spidey senses. Like, Max Ryan is really <laughs> like, I would know if he was dead. I would know if he was active. Me, him, same brain. <laughs> so weird. Um, and then JJ enters and says, I'd say good morning, but it's still dark outside. Uh, Comedy genius. Jennifer Comedy Bell. genius. Yeah. And also we see our first instance of the classic, the classic criminal minds. Everyone is holding an empty cup. <laughs> can I tell you? The whole show. <laughs> can I tell you one of my biggest pet peeves? Yeah. Is when they put a cup down and it rings out like it's empty. Like they yes. couldn't even be bothered to put water in it. Yes. It grinds my fucking gears so goddamn much. There's an episode later on where like, JJ and Emily have like stopped by like not Starbucks and they got um, Penelope like a coffee and they go to hand it to her and it's so clearly an empty paper cup. <laughs> Who minds just, like, just like refuses. They're like no liquid on set. <laughs> like I understand to an extent, but also, but also what the fuck? What the fuck? Why yeah. the fuck would you not just put water in it? It yeah. sounds bad when it gets put down on a table. There is one of my least favorite scenes in Person of Interest. The whole yes. the whole series is every single time Joss is in an interrogation room with a suspect and she's like, let me get you some water. And then puts down a very obviously empty cup <laughs> and it rings out like it's empty. I'm like, how how I can suspend my disbelief for the all-seeing government eye-monitoring machine. But I refuse to budge on a cup. I it's refuse. The details. It's the details. It's... Mm-hmm. It bothers me so much. I don't know if so you much. understand how much it truly does bother me. And it bothers me so much in Criminal Minds because none of those actors know how to fake like there's weight in a cup. Like, JJ yeah. walks in like, I got a cup of coffee and she's fucking like shaking it like a maraca, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, she brings in a picture of the victim and is like, turn on the news. And they do. And the news guy conveniently is like, this morning we got a letter from the Keystone Killer and a picture of the victim. It does look like they're dead. And then Hotch says, meet you on the plane in 30 minutes. We were so close. Yeah. We were so close. Yeah. I swear to God, I will cry real tears the first time they say real up. <laughs> it's just like... I mean, we're fucking... 15 episodes in say it <laughs> like the funniest thing about it though is like if you work with someone for 15 years and it like became a thing where you said wheels up all the time that's funny but it should that's not hysterical ha- but sh- it should not have been like the only thing like it they should, should be one of so many more inside jokes and i will yeah. die on this hill like anytime one of them like was like well i can't have any more coffee. Someone is like, uh-oh, they're devolving. You know, like, just any, like, come on, you've been best friends for 15 fucking years. You're telling me your only uh, inside joke is a wildly sincere, come on, wheels up. 
Come on, get it together. <laughs> it's just so... Okay, but I do have um, six more pages of notes, so let's keep going. Let's go. Okay. Max Ryan is like, I will be coming along on the plane. And at this point, everyone's already like looking at each other like, I do not want this fan on my airplane. <laughs> yeah. So I think is th- I think this is the first time we see Penelope on screen on the laptop in the plane. Is that I think that? it is. I think it is. This is also, this feels like a turning point for Derek and Penelope. Penelope's like yeah. sweetheart, sugar, baby, really. Yeah, they no. call each other that. Like, it's not like so, like, they set it off super, like, Rainmaker, how wet do you want it? And they've cut it back to just calling each other, like, sweetheart and sugar. And then they, like, find the middle ground of, like, you know, thunder abs, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love that this really shows neither of us know how to compliment men. <laughs> Neither of us are like, oh yeah, thunder abs. <laughs> Some of them are gross and weird. Yeah. You know? I don't know. They're not there yet though. They're not there yet, but I like this. Yeah. This episode feels very fun and nice. Yeah. They're like, thanks, sweetheart. Like, oh of course, sugar, I got you. Like they're very like casually flirty, you know? And then even like Gideon is like, hey, call her girl Friday, like Everybody get gets in on it, yeah. which I like. Although I, I'm pretty sure that that is about JJ, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, anyway, hit the woman's hands and feet are bound by flexi cups. Flexi cups. What the fuck? Flex cuffs. Oh my God, my fucking brain. Um, Derek Morgan is like, maybe there's a copycat, and Max Ryan is like, no, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> and everyone's just kind of like, okay. Hey, uh, and then Max Ryan walks away, and Gideon's like, "Don't worry, like he's consulting. He's not like working on the case. He's just consulting." And Derek's like, "Does he know that?" Or <laughs> looking at the body, there's no bruising. There's only the blunt force head wound. Um, and Elle's like, "Well, you know that note did say rear window. Like I'm gonna go dust the rear window for prints." And Max Ryan is like, <laughs> "Don't fucking bother. There won't be anything." And Elle's like, "Okay, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> I'm gonna go do it." This is why I'm like, oh, he's a Gideon. Because, yeah. like, I'm pretty sure Gideon did, did that exact same thing at some point earlier. You like, know? to Garcia, like, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm just like... Yeah, I really got that vibe when Gideon is like, you know, Elle knows what she's doing. And Max Ryan is like, I didn't say she didn't. You know? And it felt very much like when Gideon was like, what, the girl with the screens? Oh, yeah, she's great. The girl with all the screens? She's perfect. After being, like, so shitty. Like, it was, like, literally that same thing. I hate old men so goddamn much. Yeah. I just... Sir. Have some fucking respect. God, I hate old men so much. Yeah. Uh, and then I wrote, he's clearly taking it personally. The case. So then we got to JJ. Okay, we need to talk about JJ in this episode. She's not just for, for gay press. reasons, not for gay reasons, <laughs> but for, for, um, they did, they handled her. So AJ Cook was sick in this mm-hmm. episode, um, during her press conference, like later, you can hear it in her voice. She's yeah. so sick. Um, but she had to, she couldn't take the time off from the episode. Yeah. So she's in it. 
But she's she walks in in the first scene. She is not on the airplane when they're all talking. And then I was like, oh, I guess she didn't come along. But then she is just there at a press conference. And then she completely disappears. And then she's back at the next uh, press conference. Again, gone on the plane on the way home. And I just was like, you guys need to get better at like, like all you have to do is like stick a blonde in her outfit and put her in the background. And I'll be satisfied that JJ's there. It is the fully just like, where did she go? Where did she go? How'd she get here? <laughs> like they have body doubles for all of them that yeah. could have been there. Yeah, like it's just sometimes you have to remember that a TV show is just somebody's day job, yeah. and sometimes they get sick, so shit gets uh, moved around, and it doesn't always make sense. She sounds so bad in that second. Press yeah, conference. it really sounded painful. Actually, she looks very cute in that pink turtleneck. JJ outfit check. She looks great this whole episode. <laughs> um, but she's having sick as hell. And it's the the scenes she's not in are the scenes at the police station. So I think whatever like day or two they were filming at that police station, she just like wasn't there. But yeah. this is like not the first time this has happened with JJ specifically. I think that at this point the show still doesn't really like count her as part of the team. You know, so like the like yeah. she doesn't need to be there when they're talking about cases, you know, and they don't even use her as like audience insert, mm-hmm. you know, like in this episode specifically, like Max Ryan has all the information about the killer and then the team has all the information about the BAU so they can just kind of like use each other to answer and ask questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at this point in the in the show, AJ Cook wasn't that high up on the call sheet, which is she wasn't that high up which is a travesty (laughs) a travesty (laughs) but but i can see why because it is such a like what other copaganda show has a press liaison right i can see why they struggled with where to place her within the episodes and how to utilize her correctly you know like no no other copaganda show has this yeah they which is such an interesting role yeah they do find their stride with her come North Mammon in season two. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when they finally are like, maybe we should like give JJ a personality besides like annoyed. <laughs> um, but man, these early seasons, they were really just like, okay, someone go give the press conference. Okay, you can go home now. Like, <laughs> uh, okay. JJ's giving a press conference. Um, she's basically like, we can't tell you anything where this is an ongoing investigation. And all the reporters are like, we've got more information from the killers than the police. And JJ is so pissed. She's like, oh, okay, bye. <laughs> Just like leaves. Um, I-, I do think it's very girl boss of her to just walk away. Oh, yeah, I love it. <laughs> she's I like, it. you got your soundbite. I'm leaving. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Okay. Um, Reed and Hotch are also at the house. They're going through Carla Bromwell's office. And Reed is like, oh my god, I can't wait to learn from him. And Hotch is like, what could you possibly have to learn? And Reed is like, um, homogenous thinking is the death of the mind. You know, we need diversity and diverse opinions. Except like Reed never has a conversation with Max Ryan. They're looking at her office and they find a new puzzle there. 
and they're wearing gloves. Right, they are wearing down. gloves. Um, it's important because they will not be wearing gloves later. All right. Uh, the new quote is Sir Francis Bacon. I didn't write it down. It was one that Jack, or God, I keep wanting to call him Jack Ryan because that's <laughs> Max Ryan. Max Ryan. Um, Max Ryan used that same Sir Francis Bacon quote in right. his, his book. book. Yeah. So he's like, he read my book. Like very yeah. angry about this. Like you never expected the person who your book is about to read it. Wasn't that like sure. the fucking point? Yeah, literally. Yeah. And so he's like, okay, the gifts are for me. The victims are gifts and they're for me. Um, then we see the dark room. And we see that this man has clearly been like stalking women. And he's like scrapbooking. And we see like who his next woman is going to be. Boom, boom, boom. Then we cut to the office, the station. And they're like... I couldn't tell if they were, like, giving the profile or just, like, talking. Like, they give it later, but I think at the beginning they're just kind of, like, talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're saying that, like, the victims are older. Like, the Keystone Killer got older, so it is victims. Um, and that's weird because these kinds of killers have a fantasy. Like, and that fantasy, like, wouldn't age with the killer. Yeah, so victimology rarely changes with killers because they are trying to fulfill a very specific niche fantasy and that Mm -hmm. fantasy it's like they're killing the same person over and over again which is what yeah they make allusions to here yeah they talk about ted bundy he killed women who look like his fiance um yeah also and then devolved into killing no no they don't say devolving they say de-evolving what? They call it his devolution. He's de-evolving. Why don't they just say devolving? Isn't that the right term? Um, mm-hmm. But I literally, like, Gideon was like, he's going to go into a frenzy and begin to de-evolve. And I was like, de Evolve. <laughs> I have to wonder if <laughs> that I makes like, I me get... wonder if that's just like their <laughs> their uh, their script writing software just they didn't run the spell check on it first, you know? It, it like autocorrected dashes in there. Yeah, and so they were like, "Oh, you're trying to say evolve, right?" With the D in front of it. Cool. <laughs> it's like, but wait, it is, no, it is devolve. But I devolve th- is the correct word. Yes. Yeah, but I think what. Like, they're trying to be specifically in saying that somebody can evolve as a killer to a certain point, and then they begin to de-evolve. But at that point, I feel like use the word regress, you know? It was just weird. I was like, what the fuck are you saying? Uh, Yeah. yeah. It's really weird. Mm-hmm. And then Gideon's like, hey, Max Ryan, you made the original profile. Why don't you give it? And he's just like... <laughs> No, and walks away. So Hotch is like, okay, uh, we think this man's gonna be. <laughs> he like starts giving the profile. Um, He's trying his best in yeah. the worst circumstance imaginable. Hotch is like, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Gideon follows Max Ryan 
And Max Ryan is like, I can't help but feel I was asking for it. Like, I wrote that book and he read it. Like, was I trying to, like, stroke his ego so he'd come out of hiding? Whatever. And Gideon's like, it could just be a coincidence. And Max Ryan is like, we both have been in this field long enough to know, like, there's no such thing as coincidences. Um, and again, he's right. It's not a coincidence. <laughs> um, yeah. So then they're talking about the profile and they're like, what's new? Uh, the woman was hit in the head. There wasn't a fight, but she was still knocked unconscious. Um, he used cuffs instead of rope and suffocating is less personal than strangling someone with your hands. Uh, and so Derek is like, well, look, why don't we just like treat him like a new unsub because everything is different. That's like, look at it as a new unsub and um, getting is like, no, because it's not a new unsub. When like, if they had listened to Derek, they would have solved this way quicker. Yeah. Like it's literally Derek's advice later that like gets them to him. It's it, really uh, weird to me too because in future cases like this, because this happens a few more times, spoiler alert, they do just like throw everything out and they're like, okay, look at it completely new. Yeah, let's what do we know over. about the new killings? Yeah. We know that this is a serial <coughs> offender, but this is the first time he's using this MO. What does this new yeah. MO say about him? Yeah. They use, I- they're like, let's treat it new later. But this time everybody looks at Derek like he's a, he has two heads and it's like, no, he's right. Yeah, I think they also, like, they're trying to show how the new energy, the new people, the young people are trying to, you know, put their own spin on it and use their own perspective on it. And the older people, Max, Ryan, Gideon, are like, no, this is the way we do it. He's still the same person. They're, like, clinging to that, like, no, 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 he's not a new person. He's still the same person. He's just older. You know, because they see themselves as that as well. Whereas Derek is like young and fresh eyed and has different experiences. So he's like, you know, trying to come at it from a different angle and the older people won't respect his input. And the same with Elle. Yeah, it's it's very like old guard, new guard. Exactly. Yes. It's very clearly set up like that. Exactly. Um... Yes. So then it's just like in Pitch Perfect when oh Becca joins the um, acapella group and she's like, what if we sing new songs? And the acapella group seniors are like, no, these are the songs we've always sang. Um, but then Bella does end up right and they do sing new songs. You know? It's just like that. You know, out of all the things I was expecting you to reference there, Pitch Perfect wasn't high up on the list. I'm not gonna lie to you. It's not my fandom. It's a Phantom adjacent. Um, but I know a good coming of age story when I see I know one. a good queer bait when I see one, and goddamn, <sighs> whatever that redhead and Anna Kendrick have, I want that shit so bad. Maybe snow. <laughs> yeah. Mama needs her jiggle juice. <laughs> yeah. Reed is going through the puzzle mm-hmm. and he finds a name. And it's S. Harbin. Sharbin. Uh, Sharbin. <laughs> well, it's backwards, right? So it's like he points at Nibros and says, I found a name. And Elle goes, a name from what country? 
Which, okay, L. I didn't know you knew every language. <laughs> I know, I love casual xenophobia in my propaganda shows. Like, Nibra could 100% be someone's name. Yeah. That okay, sounds like L. a name a white woman gives her child, and then, like, their siblings have, like, seven E's in their name or something like that, you know? This is little Nibra. We call her Nibby. Reed finds the name Sharbin, uh, which is Scott Harbin. Um, which is somebody they talked to pr- previously. Yeah. They talked to twice in the original course of yeah, the investigation. Yeah, he recognizes the name because it's someone that Mark Ryan had talked to. Um, and Mark Ryan's like, no, it's not him. He got 30 years in prison. I interviewed him a bunch. He's like too normal. Uh, and Hotch starts doubting him. Um, and then they like, Derek like straight up gets up and says, I'm going to go look him up. Like, <laughs> which is so fun and passive aggressive of him. And yeah. I love that. I love it because it's like the, Al earlier is like, I'm going to look up for Prince on the window. And he's like, no. And she's like, I'm going to go look for Prince at the window and like leaves. And now Derek is like, I should look him up. And he's like, no, it's not him. And Derek's like, I'm going to go look him up and just like gets up and leaves. It's just the little things, the little petty acts in this episode that make it really fun. It's like as a millennial, it's funny to watch like, you know, Gen X push back at the fucking baby boomers in the same way that I like push back at Gen X, you know? I just think it's fun to watch grown people being petty to each other. I honestly think that's very fun. I don't know how old Derek is in this. I think he's, he's a little older. No, wait, he's one year younger than Emily. So he's 20 or sorry. He's late twenties in this. No, he's like 33 in this. Okay. Cause in season two, Emily's 35. So. Yeah, so he's 33. Okay. Um, so he's still young. Hotch is starting to doubt Max Ryan. As he should. As he should, as they all should. Because Hotch gives a lot of like judgy side eye in this episode. He like, really he, does. He never says anything specific, but he gives a lot of like, are you fucking serious, dude? Like side eye. <laughs> And I think that's I think that's very fun because I think you can see a lot of like Hotch really believes in the kids, right? He yeah. really believes in Elle and Derek and Spencer, right? Yeah. And so he just like the way that he is like silently seething whenever Ryan is like, no, fuck you, you're wrong. He's just like, mm, mm, yeah. not my kids. Not my fucking kids. <laughs> he's not that much older than they are because he's only like 40 here right no not even so in canon he's a year younger than emily prentice but that is incorrect because he was already working for emily prentice's mother when emily was at yale so So, he's probably a few years older than emily which would put him like mid to late 30s yeah i'd say he's like 38 39 like old enough to be firmly like an adult but he's not like in Gideon's camp, you know, and he's, but he's not yeah. like with the, he's like old enough to feel protective of the younger ones, but still young enough to push back against Gideon's generation. Yeah. 
I kind of like that. Like, I like that Hotch is not, like, ridiculously older, you know? Like, I like that he's kind of, like, he's young enough to be part of the team, but, like, still old enough to be respected by whoever the, like, old person on the team is, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like it because, like, it plays right now, it plays like he is sort of the bridge between the two camps. Yeah. And a lot of times he's sort of, he and Spencer kind of end up as, like, Gideon translators, where, like, yeah. Gideon just says, like, some bullshit, and either it's so obscure only Spencer Reed knows what it is, or it's some old case that, like, Hotch yeah. helped work on sort of thing. So, yeah, I yeah. do like how he is young enough to be, like, fuck you <laughs> this is how it's done now yeah. but also old enough to be like don't insult my kids yeah don't i really insult my kids like that i really wish we knew how long he'd been at the bau it's not that long that would mean max ryan wouldn't have retired that long ago if we're trying to fit everything in the timeline here because he sounds like he's worked with ryan before well i think max ryan may have retired like seven or eight years ago so he worked with max ryan for like you know two or three yeah years. they like overlapped a little bit you but know not a whole lot. Okay. like i mm-hmm. like he could have been like Koch could have been someone who joined because they knew max ryan was on the way out you know <laughs> like one of those kinds of things um because gideon is unit chief right now uh we don't yes. know what hotch's like job title is but gideon is unit chief and then when gideon leaves Hosh becomes unit chief and Rafi, Rossi just like joins. Um, Rossi's just there for funsies. That is so fucking funny. Rossi is like, yes, I will be coming back. And yes, I will be getting my own office. Thank you. Like, it's like okay. No, I will not be taking on any additional responsibility. No. Thank you. Yeah, so I just think it's interesting that Max Ryan is uh, part of that old guard with Gideon. And Hosh is in the middle. And then these kids are kind of testing the boundaries you know like what is yeah i think it's interesting the kind of like you know what i will say criminal minds does a really good job i think of exploring the difference between like co-workers and friends Mm -hmm. you know it's like because these people go through so much emotional trauma (laughs) turmoil trauma together um they get very close and they see very difficult parts of themselves. But at the same time, they manage to hide so much of themselves. So Max Ryan, his whole deal, um, kind of hints at something that I have noticed in later seasons, where like when somebody leaves the BAU, it feels like they're dying. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like they they are making a choice to say goodbye to these people. Yeah. You know, it's never like, I got a better job. <laughs> hey guys, I need a mental health break. It's always like, you're abandoning us. And then they're never mentioned again. Yeah. You know, and so for Max Ryan to have retired, we see him retire, and we'll get to this um, later when Elle and Hotch talk, but Matt, for Max Ryan to retire and then continue to do this work, you know, like, this really does become their whole lives and it does become like an aspect of their personality. Mm -hmm. And especially the ones who are there for 15 years, you know, JJ, Penelope, Reed, you know, Emily to a lesser extent, she's kind of doing off screen stuff, but 
Most of the time. Yeah. Most of the time, yeah. But they still imply that the off-screen stuff is profiling. Um, but it really just becomes like who they are and everything else takes a backseat to it. Derek went to look up Charbin. <laughs> Scott Harbin. I just, we can't just I, call this man Charbin. Listen, every That's time he's in my notes, movie. every time he's in my notes, it's Char. Charbin has been paroled for three months in Philly and he missed his last parole check-in. Bum, bum, bum. That makes him a criminal, apparently. That means that they can enter his home without a warrant and just yeah. go, I guess. Yeah. So the FBI SWAT team like breaks into his house. L catches him. And Charbin is like joking, laughing, like super chill. He's like, oh, does the FBI SWAT team like come after people who broke their parole now? And I was like, we were in the neighborhood. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which I think is so funny. Yes. Um, so then they bring up he has a military background. And this is where I wrote no gloves, sad face. Elvis just going around touching things in I his see. hat. Like literally, literally just putting her hands on things. His things are very organized, like a, a certain number of inches apart. Like they look in his underwear drawer and it's like his underwear, his socks are like four inches apart and his underwear is like six inches. It's like a thing. Um, so they say like, okay, he has like OCD. He's used to like solitude must have been really hard for him. Uh, there's He must have had a strict upbringing. And then he's like mean to Al. Um, Al goes into full I hate men, I have cut men's dicks off before mode. And she walks over and she's like, Aw, are you scared of a woman who isn't afraid of you? (laughs) What I thought that this was playing at, and nobody ever confirms it, but what I thought this was playing at is because Elle is a mid-twenties brunette who looks like the people that that guy killed. I thought she was trying to like elicit a reaction from him of being like, of making him be like, I kill motherfuckers like you or whatever. But nobody ever treats it like that. And even Gideon is like, you kind of roasted his shit. You good? And she's like, did I say anything that wasn't true? Like, okay, no queen go off, I guess. (laughs) I wrote, I wrote, she's babying him. Ick slash hot. (laughs) She's just like, I, that's how I read it of her trying to like elicit a reaction from him. But I don't know if that's necessarily how they wrote it, you know? She's brunette, but she's not pale like them. She's also that's true. She's also too young because his For victims him now. have aged up. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think she like is. I think she just hates men who hurt women. And honestly, so true, Queen. I mean, so true, Queen. So true, Queen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Hotch and Derek are in the bedroom. They open up the dude's armoire, and there's, like, a film camera and a TV. And they're like, where are the tapes? So they start, like, looking through bins. uh, And Hotch, like, knocks on on the, like, board under the bed, and it's hollow. So they move it and they pull it out and there's a woman wrapped in plastic she's like bound with ropes taped on her mouth freaking out and they were like well shit (laughs) glad we found her well shit yeah glad that we managed to they never elaborate on this at all no he (laughs) just they like make some comment about like they how he worked with um the killer installing like home house alarms and they're like 
you know, creeps find each other, you know. So this makes me wonder, is that woman the first one that he's killed in however many years? Does he murder these women? Is he another serial killer as well? I don't think he's... Or is he just a pervert? I don't think they... He was in... He was in jail for 30 years, I think for like rape and aggravated assault. Do they mention what he went into jail for? Because I can't remember that they mentioned what he went into jail for. Yeah, they did when Reed finds the name because Mark Ryan says no, like he got 30 years in prison for something else. And I think they say like what it was, but I I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. I didn't write it down because I didn't think it'd be important. And then it was. Um, so, uh, Charmin fits the profile. He's in his, um, late forties. He's white. He, um, was in jail for the correct amount of time. You know, he just got out three months ago, sort of thing. He was in the military, all that kind of stuff. Unassuming. Um, but then... And then Mark Ryan is like, wow, I guess I was wrong. Um, but then they get a note on the car. And it's from the Keystone Killer. And they, it basically, the Keystone Killer is like, ew, Charbin is inelegant. He's um, icky. He's icky gross. <laughs> uh, and then I wrote... Baby girl, he is yucky disgusting. <laughs> Baby girl. <laughs> he is You are yucky tata. disgusting. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you are... I'm going to start calling people that. Girl, (laughs) you are yucky disgusting. I think it's a really funny way to describe serial killers as just yucky disgusting. I mean, they're so gross icky. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Yeah. I wrote, oh, hey, JJ's literally gone again. This is when I was like, hey, wait a minute. (laughs) Where'd she go? Wait a minute. Where's my girl? Okay. They're back in the conference room reviewing... What they have learned. Clearly, the Keystone Killer likes taunting. He likes being in control. Uh, he's not dead and he's not in prison. Because he's doing things. He's leaving notes, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, let's see. Oh, yeah, and then Reed says 10% of all violent deaths are strangulation. You only need to put 11 pounds of pressure for 50 seconds to incapacitate someone. Which I was like, 50 seconds is a long time, though, for strangling. But it's also not that long when you think about it. That's less than a minute. But, like, how long can a minute feel? A minute of extended exertion against someone fighting back on you. That's fair. You know? Um, Anyway, they're like, why the new MO? Like, is he losing confidence? Why would he lose confidence? And then they're like, hey, wait a minute. Maybe he changed his MO because he's incapacitated. Like, maybe he didn't change his MO because he lost confidence or because he wanted to, but because he had to. Maybe he had an injury or he had a stroke. Um, and they're like, it's time to go through the medical records. And then um, Gideon says, it's time to call our girl Friday. So I wrote down the plot of his girl friday it's a mm-hmm. carrie grant it was it's a k grant movie it was described on wikipedia as a slapstick comedy drama romance 
Basically, the plot of it is this reporter, Williams, his ex-wife, Hildy, is about to get remarried. And he doesn't like that. So he spends the whole movie, um, Bruce is the fiance. He spends the whole movie like doing shit to get Bruce like put in jail. And he's like convincing Hildy that like this news story that's happening is going to be like the biggest news story she's ever written about. And like, she has to stay here and write it. And every time Bruce gets out of jail, he shows back up and is like, can we please go to Albany and get married? And then Williams get done, plants fake money on him, plants drugs on him, like does this, does that to get him like in jail again. And then like Bruce like finally comes in and Hildy's like typing away her story, you know, and Bruce is like, I get it. Like, I'm never going to win this. And he leaves and he goes to Albany after all, except that um, Williams had transferred him some fake money. And so then he did use fake money and ended up in jail anyway. And then at the end of the movie, Hildy and Williams get back together and Hildy's like, actually, I'm really glad this happened because I was really worried that you were going to let me go without a fight. And so they agree to get married. I know. They agree to get married and they're going to go to the Niagara Falls for their honeymoon. But then right before they leave on the honeymoon, he's like, actually, I found this like really good story in Albany. I'm going to go there instead to report on the story. And she's like, he's never going to change. Uh, and then they go to Albany instead. Hey, do you realize that movies didn't have to be good for a long time? Does that ever hit you? Like, movies don't have to be good. Or they didn't have to be good. Because the fact that they were making a movie was a marvel enough, right? Like, like, holy shit, that's a talking picture. That's enough. Exactly. Not to, like, roast old movies or anything, but wow, what a film, huh? What's that movie that's like, what's that meme that's like, why does a movie have to be good? Is it not enough to just sit in a dark place (laughs) and watch pity people on screen? Um, That's what it was in in classic Hollywood. Anyway, that, the, the description of that made me feel like it was about JJ and not about because he goes let's call our girl Friday and then JJ shows up sick as hell to do a press conference <laughs> you know she's actively dying and yet she's like anyway um we are this asking so for sick. your help to <laughs> yeah so there's like there's so many medical records also this press conference comes to nothing so they're asking for information because there's like a lot of medical records so they're like do you know anyone involved in a car accident uh in the 80s but like, they don't even mention that at the press conference. She's just no. like, <laughs> she gets halfway through the profile and then just gets harassed for the rest of the time yeah. and never finishes the profile. I wrote, I wrote men keep interrupting her. Like at the first, like talking to the media and here, it's like the same fucking dude just keeps interrupting her. And she like keeps making those like, I'm choosing violence faces that JJ makes. Uh, and then, yeah. and then Carla Bromwell's brother stands up and is like, my sister died because of some killer you should have caught 18 years ago. And JJ's like super like diplomatic about it. And is like, I'm sorry for your loss. We're doing everything we can. Um, And then Max Ryan, it cuts to like JJ on TV. And Max Ryan is like, wow, like I could never have handled this. Like we didn't have to do press conferences like this when I was here. And I was like, JJ can handle her own. (laughs) Which like, yeah, she can. Queen. Um, in the girl criminal to support your fellow girl bosses. In the Criminal Minds reboot, they like need to let people curse. I need JJ and Emily and Tara just to be like, fuck, 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 fuck you, fuck this, fuck that, fuck them. Like <laughs> God, have, have you 
considered the fact that that reboot's going to come out within the next like three years, probably. And we're going to have to watch it. You know? you know, here's the thing. When I first watched Criminal Minds and I heard there was going to be a reboot, I was like excited. I was like, oh, that's nice. Like it hasn't been off the air that long. Like they'll just like pick it back up. You know, a few things will be different. It'll be fun. I don't want a reboot anymore. We don't need it. Um, you know, we started this recording talking about how good this episode was. And yet, once again, we cannot talk about the episode. We've de-evolved. <laughs> we have. This is our de-evolution. <laughs> okay, we should really go back to this episode, though. Max, Ryan is like, they need someone to blame. And I'm easy because I didn't solve it. Like, I need to close this case so that they'll stop, like, talking about it. And he's like, I haven't seen my family in years. Uh, and then he says, like, the BAU doesn't employ agents who can relax. And Elle has this, like, look on her face. And I wrote, beginning of Dark L." This episode really does feel like it's setting the stage for, like, the yeah. shit. And, you know, we've mentioned the past couple of episodes, right? This L being like, is it better for a family to stay together or to separate? And Gideon's like, it's always better to stay together. And then last episode, what was it? Oh, should... Like, children always know who their parents are. And Gideon said yes, but, you know, it didn't end on his side. And now it's, like, Elle being, like, how does anyone have a family and do this work at the same time? Like, it really feels like Elle is, like, you know, I really wanted this job. And I love it. But, you know. Yeah, and I don't. Like, I wonder if it was, like, this early, Lola Gardini was, like, I can't do this, you know? Well, because she was in, she leaves in what, mid-season two? Not even mid, early. Early season two? I think she's gone by North Mammon. I think she leaves by like episode three or four. And then Emily shows up to Hutch's office in nine. You know, so I think there's only like two or three episodes without a brunette. Yeah, she's one, two, three, four, five. She's only like six episodes of season two. Okay, yeah. Um, and most of them shortly are shortly after the Fisher King. Yeah, I was gonna say Fisher King is her big like goodbye. So yeah, I wonder if they're starting to set up this struggle of being at the BAU is not easy. No, it takes a very special type of person to do this job for a long period of time. Yeah is is the first part of Fisher King the one where she like goes to Mexico with Derek? Or is that like the um, one yes. before? Yes, that they, is the first part. They are in Mexico hitting on chicks during the first part of Fisher King. Right. So we have seven episodes left. So there's only five episodes between this and Fisher and the first part of Fisher King. Mm-hmm. So like I Wait. do th- No, there's more than five episodes between this and the first part of Fisher King. I'm sorry. Because Fisher King Fisher you King said- Part One is the season finale. And then Fisher King Part Two is the season premiere of season two. Oh, okay. So, there's so you have six. Te- technically six episodes. Yeah, yeah sorry. But it, Not it, to like split your split your dick on very small semantic things, but... Split your <laughs> dick? You couldn't say split hairs? It had to be split your dick? I don't know why split your dick just came up in my brain, but it did, and I'm very sorry about that. <laughs> split your dick is the title track of Erotic Love Map. <laughs> Good callback! Good Thank callback! You. It's the last fucking episode. <laughs> Then we cut to the woman who was in the photos in the dark room, and she's like an elementary school teacher or something, kindergarten teacher. Yeah, she's much older now. 
Yeah. And we get the same, like, every time the unsub is, every time the Keystone Killer is in the room, we get this kind of, like, montage of camera flashes and, like, black and white and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. And we get that here, looking at this woman. You can tell it's different from the psychotic frenzy killer things that they use because this is in black and white and not orange. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you're not You laugh, but that's 100% accurate. You're not wrong. Man, every fucking episode, they're like, here's a frenzy. Look at it from a psychotic's point of view. Like, this is a VHS Mm -hmm. tape. Like, now it's pictures. They really were just like using those after effects. What I really also like, by the way, now that you mentioned the picture thing, is they do, they do in fact do one of those picture-in-picture picture, um, mm-hmm. transitions that they love. But every time they do it, somebody is holding a photo in a way that no human person would ever actually hold a photo. Fuck, it's so fucking funny. When they do it on the plane, like when um, Ryan's holding the photo, he's like holding it. He's like holding it like this. Right. This is how he holds this photo. He holds it up to the camera so the camera has plenty of space to zoom. Yeah, it's like, this is not how any human person would hold a photo. It just makes me laugh every time. That's like in Derailed when Elle, like, lifts her folder, like, vertically just so that the guy can, like, see the FBI logo. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's like, there's gotta be a better way to do this, guys. You know? (laughs) Anyway. Why couldn't she have, like, dropped it and, like, slid into the aisle? You know, like, something. Uh, anyway, not important. Um, uh, but what we see the woman. So Hodge thinks that the unsub had a stroke. And Derek's like, he would have been 25 at the time. Like, that's too young to have a stroke. And then Reed does this very long ramble about what a stroke is. And Derek actually, like, listens. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Good. Listen. Listen to the boy. Uh, but then when he's done, Derek is like, so he was probably too young. And Reed's like, yeah, he was probably too young. <laughs> uh, and then he says something about like people who had strokes who play virtual reality games like recover faster. And then Derek is like, nerd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is fair. But it's also a neat medical fact in that they are using virtual yeah. reality. And they have been for the last 10 years. It's a very interesting field of science. Anyway. Yeah, I, I definitely think it is. Um, so then Hotch is like, oh, here's someone. He's in his 30s. He broke his neck. And nope, he did move to the Florida Keys and he's a scuba instructor. <laughs> it's just like, this this episode, you know, what? I'm going to say something. This episode has a lot of those good little, like, humanizing touches. And I, I really, yeah, no, I really like it when they have those tiny little moments of like, hey, these are people. They yeah. hunt down the worst of the worst, but they are also just like people I think- who have coffee orders and favorite movies and stuff. I think that kind of stuff, like I do think Criminal Minds does a really good job of like turning its characters from characters into people, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that that's what makes it stand out from so many other shows. Like we all love Olivia Benson, but at the end of the day, she's like a cop archetype, you know? Her personality trait is cop. Yeah. And, and she may have details that are specific to her, but like I watched 15 fucking seasons of SVU and it's just like, okay, protective woman, lady cop takes no shit, you know, as opposed to watching like Criminal Minds, where you see those little moments where they get to be just like people solving crimes, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I really think that's what sucks people into Criminal Minds is that like humanizing, you want to be these people's friends, you want to know them, 
you know? Yeah. And that's why we keep talking about how like the best episodes are the ones about them and not so much about like some cool crime. Um, and this show has a, this episode has a few little like peeks into that window. Oh, Gideon and Max Ryan are talking and Gideon brings up or Max Ryan brings up the Boise child killer and says like when they caught him, like by the time they caught him, the detective was like nearly suicidal. Like he had just been driven like crazy by the case and being so obsessed with it. And Gideon's like, be careful not to be the Keystone Killer's next victim. Like you're so invested in this. Like you could be this guy's next victim. And Max Ryan is like, I'm worried because like I wrote that book and I like almost wanted him to come back and I wanted him to do this. And like now he's killing people. Um, And Gideon is like, you know, our team is here to help you. Like if you'll just give up some of this control, like, you know, set aside some of this burden, we will help you and we will get you through this. That's what the team is for. Uh, and then Gideon kind of walks away and Max Ryan gets to like contemplate that. I I really like this moment of being like, Gideon's like, we can solve this case. This is easily solvable. We can do this. If you just get your fucking shit together and play on the team a little bit here which is so good because it is so reminiscent of what of what Hotchner had to say to him at the beginning like hey we're a fucking team for a reason get your head out of your ass and let's do this I really like that now Gideon has kind of like internalized that lesson and I'm not to be like wow Gideon had such good character growth but also it's been 15 episodes of pretty solid character growth along the way and I like that they give him this moment to be like oh, yeah, I was kind of insufferable back then, probably. I need to do better now. Yeah, I think that, like, one of the reasons Gideon is so terrible in those early episodes is so that he could develop this camaraderie, you know, and it his mm-hmm. character growth all leads up to him leaving Spencer that note, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, he gets to the point where even though he just fucking disappeared off the face of the planet, he took the time to leave the person who needed to hear from him the most a note, you know? So I, I feel like we had to start with Gideon. So, you know, Mm -hmm. he's never great. I'm not going to defend Gideon and say he's ever like, no, God, no, (laughs) but I, you know, but I think that is part of why, and I'm not talking about many particular, I'm talking about Gideon. I think that's part of why Gideon ended up leaving you're right about the mirror. He sees what this job does to a person. And it's like when it's him surrounded by these kids, he can be like, oh, it's just because I'm older. It's because I've seen more. Like, I'm just a grumpy Mm -hmm. guy now. But when he sees himself and um, a mentor, even though that's not correct, uh, you know, this mentor character, he understands who he is to the rest of the team. You know, like like at the beginning of this episode, even Gideon is like, oh, don't worry. He knows what he's doing. He knows he's just consulting. He knows we're working together. And the team is like, but does he though? You know, and I Mm -hmm. think it's, it's important that in this moment, Gideon is like, no, he doesn't. And if he does, he isn't showing it well, you know, and Gideon has his own little um, wake up call. Now, I don't remember what happens next episode. This could all be walked back. But right now, Mm -hmm. Gideon is having this kind of moment of, 
I don't want to be like this guy. I don't want to make my team feels the, feel the way he makes my team feel. Yeah, and that's why I think more than anything, Ryan works as a mirror, as like a narrative foil to Gideon because Gideon is the, is the only one who really like takes that and I think internalizes it. Yes, this is sort of another small stepping stone on Elle's journey, um, but I think more than anybody else, I think Gideon takes the lesson that Ryan teaches him inadvertently, but I think he takes the lesson that Ryan teaches him to heart more than the rest of the team. You know what I you think? Know? Yeah, and I think that, you know, when Elle leaves, it does push Gideon in the direction of leaving, you know? Yeah. Because he's like, I should have seen her burning out, and I didn't, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's why he, he, like, opens up to Emily a little bit, but I think that's why at the beginning he's so, like, I don't know this woman... I don't want to get close to this woman. Because, I mean, because think about it. He knew Elle for, I mean, what, all of a year and a half? Less. About, yeah. When she burned out and left, you know? Mm-hmm. So then here's this new shiny-eyed, you know, bright-eyed, <laughs> eager young woman shows up. He's like, a year and a half, and you're going to be gone too, you know? Yeah. And like, and like before Elle, we don't know, there was an open position. Elle took an open position, you know? So like, who knows what that person, who that person was that left, you know? So I think Gideon became tired of seeing people come into the BAU, be burnt out and him not being able to do anything about it and kind of seeing Ryan showed him who he was. There's no happy endings for these, for the BAU members. So it feels... It feels really like, I don't know, like narratively significant that we're seeing very early on in the show's running in season one, episode 15, that the happy ending for this guy is catching one killer who got away. Yeah. Like, that seems very significant that they're putting very early on. They're like, there's no happy endings here. Yeah. And so it makes it even more. It makes it feel even Better or worse, I guess, when later on the younger agents do go off to have happy endings. When Derek goes to have a happy ending, right? Yeah. When they do leave and have kids and have families and actually, like, make it work. Yeah, I think it's it's very interesting to me. It's very, um, yeah, interesting, thought-provoking, I think, that in season one we're presented with this, there are no happy endings for people in the BAU. You will and then in out. season two, it, yeah. it solidifies that when Elle leaves, there's no happy endings for people in the BAU. Yeah, and this episode really is the beginning of that. This episode feels like Criminal Minds like promised to examine what being around these horrors day in and day out does to a person. It literally, yeah, it really does make you think of like, what's the cost of being a good guy in this way? What's the cost yes. of saving the day? Yeah. The cost of saving the day is that sometimes you're going to lose something of yourself. Yeah. And we see, I think, for the first time in Max Ryan, how hard it is to fail, you know? And we see it again throughout the show, 
how hard it is to fail, how hard it is to ask for help. Because if you build your whole identity around self-sacrifice for the greater good, and then you have a moment of weakness, like, are you not the hero you're trying to be? Like, is that a, mm-hmm. is that a moral failing? You know, like if I'm not good enough to save myself, how can I possibly try and save other people? You know, I, for all of criminal minds, like nonsense, I think that the, you know, the core question of what is the cost of doing good, I think is fascinating. It is. And it's stupid that a propaganda show is the one, the one show that I'm like, this best describes the moral cost, the human cost of being the good guy. Yeah. And it's like a dumb propaganda show about serial killers. Yeah. But like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think, I think, how do I want to say this? I'm not a cop apologist. I'm not a government apologist. But I think the fact that this is not a show about like beat cops Mm -hmm. is what kind of lets it do that. You know? This is a show about the people who catch serial killers. Yeah. Like the like, worst of the worst. Like SVU, I feel, asks a similar question. Like SVU to me asks, like, how do you live your life knowing that there is evil around every corner? Mm-hmm. You know, but that question kind of puts cops as these guardian angels, you know, mm-hmm. Which is, which is, ugh. Ugh. Um, you know, but I think, be- I think because the BAU doesn't tackle, like, they're never like, how dare this poor person rob a 7-Eleven for bread, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the, the crimes that they're fighting feel far enough removed that like, obviously, it's so pro, like, government, like, the Patriot Act fucking bullshit. Um, but I think that because the crimes are so um, big, yeah, because they're so, they're, like, hyperbolic, you know, like, the, every mm-hmm. case feels like an allegory, you know? Yeah. It doesn't necessarily feel like I could walk down the street and see Olivia Benson beating the shit out of some, <laughs> like, Mexican, you know? Like, like, I'm yeah. not worried. I'm not worried. I'm going to like look in an alley and Emily Prentice is like beating up sex worker. You know, it's so far removed that it's, yeah. and it's, and it's much more like academic, you know, mm-hmm. it's like therapists with guns, right? <laughs> yeah. It, like, sure. it feels, sure. it like, it feels far enough removed that you can that that viewers can focus on the characters and on the mess the 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 not propaganda message, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to something like Brooklyn Nine Nine, where you're yeah. like you're like oh my god that's so funny Boyle's doing the single ladies dance with the sex workers he arrested, you know, it's like ugh. like Criminal Minds doesn't have that constant cringe that some of that stuff. Um, gives you so i think it's easy yeah. for the message to get through yeah um but don't worry we are watchdogging that shit Nothing yeah trust again. us we are <laughs> we're not just laying down and accepting the propaganda, but it is fascinating the moral choices that they've given us and the moral yeah. choices they set up this early on in the series yes exactly. like episode 15 
Anyway, we should go back to the episode to finish this out. Uh huh. This is always the part of the recording when we've been recording for eleven hours. Uh, that my attention span does run out. But we are in the last. We're in the last. Yeah, we're in the home, last. Home stretch. Home stretch. Let's go. Okay. Then they okay. So then, Hotch is like, well, maybe the answer is like a college professor. Because he would have been like 25 and have access to these girls. Um, and then Reed suggests, like, hey, why don't maybe like the it was an accident. Like maybe he got in a car accident. Because car accidents are like the most common type of accidents to happen. Yeah. And um Gideon's like, well, car accidents would have been recorded by the police. So Derek's like, okay, I'll have Garcia look. And Garcia looks it up and she says, I guess friends let friends drive drunk back then. <laughs> Which did make me laugh. Uh, There's a bit of American uh, propaganda here. There was something like 30. There was like a bunch of. There were like 30 American made cars. That were involved in crashes in 1985. Um, 1988. 1988, thank you. There were only 30 involved. And of those 30 American made cars. Only five of the drivers ended up in the hospital. So she says, let's hear it for American made safety. I She's, love uh, big. I love big auto. Big, big auto, yeah. And their <laughs> propaganda. She said that, and I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it's like the first person she mentions, like it's him. So his name is Walter Kern. He's forty-eight. He got in a car accident and broke his back, and <laughs> yeah, and he was found outside of. A house on Anderson Street, outside of Carla Bromwell's house. Bum bum bum. Um. So if he's forty eight now, he would have been in his late twenties before, just like Max Ryan predicted. He was in the ROTC in high school. He was in the Air Force for a bunch of years. After the car accident, he lost mobility in his right side, and his jobs were like installing home alarms in people's houses and stuff. So it's like that's why there was never any forced entry. He was invited into their house. Yeah. Which is interesting. I'm so surprised they didn't mention BTK. Because yeah. BTK literally was like an ADP salesman. And didn't he also do very intricate knots too? Yes. Wasn't isn't that the B in BTK? <laughs> Hold on a second. Was BTK of a car? Um, I think so. Oh, Yes, 2005. Yes, he was. Oh, he was literally caught in 2005. Oh, when what the fuck? season I... takes place. But he killed in Kansas. I'm so sorry. Is the Keystone Killer supposed to be BTK? I think they, I think that's on the IMDb trivia page is that the, the base of this case seems similar to the BTK because of the intricate knot work. Um, oh. And the fact that he strangled, because BTK also strangled. Yeah, and he was into autoerotic asphyxiation, just like this guy turned to. Oh. Yeah. Well, who knew? Oh, I mean, don't answer that clearly. People knew. Um. And also, BTK was also in the Air Force. He was only apprehended in February 25th of 2005. When did this episode air? Were they just like 
Hey, have y'all heard of this BTK killer? Aired March 1st, 2006, right? This was aired March 1st. Oh, yeah, March 1st, 2006. So, so yeah, they would later. have had the time to be like, this is our BTK. Yeah, so they, they yeah, a year later, they made a BTK type killer probably for the anniversary of his being caught. Yeah, he was literally an ADT salesman in Wichita. Yeah. Which is, fun fact, like an hour away from me. <laughs> I could drive there if I wanted. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this yeah, is the look, BTK, I think. See, look, in 2004, the investigation of the BTK killer was considered a cold case, but then Dennis Rader initiated a series of communications to the local media, which then resulted in his arrest. So in this case, it's a guy who they assume it's a cold case who then started reaching out to police and media again. And that's how he got caught. This is 100%. This is the BTK. Wow. People are going to send us tweets as they're like 40 minutes into this episode and be like, I can't believe you guys haven't realized this is a BTK. And then like 40 minutes later, I'll receive another tweet that's like, never mind, you guys just mentioned that it's a BTK. But this is definitely their BTK. Yeah. Interesting. Also, Wikipedia calling him the BTK killer makes me laugh. It's like, you know, ATM machine. BTK killer is literally (laughs) bind, torture, kill killer. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Walter Kern also had a degree in criminology. That's why he knows about like law enforcement stuff. So they go to his house and then they like knock on the door and then it like cuts to a different house and the door opens and there's the blonde that Walter Kern has been stalking. And he gets inside and it's like, dun, dun, dun. Okay. This, um, the, the door transition they do is really well done, actually. I just want to say that I really, really enjoy it. They definitely do this like later again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really good now. Yeah, when they like open the door and it's just like, oh shit, he's not home. He's at the woman's house. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. So at his house, his wife lets him in. Um, and then it cuts to the blonde. She's like crying. Uh, and he makes her put on the flexi cuffs herself. And then it goes back to his wife, and his wife is like, yeah, Walter's, like, at the community center with the Boy Scouts, like, volunteers to teach them their knots. Yeah. Yeah. Which, and, yeah. And, okay, I disliked how they went about this. She's like, can you leave? Like, this is weird. So they were like, does Walter have a room that you are not allowed to go into? And she's like, I mean, he has his dark room. And they're like, does he get... um?" disproportionately angry when you go into that room and she's like yeah and they say has he had fits of depression and then she goes oh my god who what is this about and they were like and does he randomly snap out of it and she's like oh my god what's happening but i just hate that they were like what does this mean does he have a private room are you not allowed to go in there does he have depression I was like, all righty. <laughs> Depression is like not a mental illness that will make you kill people. Yeah, it's like cool. you just depressed sad. people. We don't have the energy for that. Yeah, exactly. You think I have the energy to go fucking kill someone? If I take a Did shower, really it's a good day. To- <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't clean my dishes, but yeah. sure, I could but definitely like- murder somebody. No, I also don't like how they're like how she's like, "Can you leave?" And then they're like, "Just one more question." And one more question. And one more question. And one more question. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's the same thing of like, 
you know, in What Fresh Hell, when Hotch is like, but if you have a lawyer, you won't be able to talk to us. They're like, if we leave, you won't be able to show us his secret room. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, I get it. Your copaganda. I know. I know. Hey, sir, you don't have a wallet at the, you don't have a warrant. Get the fuck out of my house. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, guys, never talk to cops. His dark room is like in the cellar. Which would be a terrible place for a dark room because it is not climate or humidity controlled. That pisses me off so fucking much. Yeah. Yeah. I you need a very like controlled environment for a dark room. A cellar? No. What if, you're, what if your basement floods? What if your basement floods? What if it's just really humid outside? The cellar's not climate or humidity controlled. No. Your shit's gonna run so bad. That's so annoying. His pictures are like pinned to like brick walls. I was like, what is this fucking like brick and concrete basement this man has decided to make his photo studio? That's why they're all blurry as fuck. They find a scrapbook. Oh, he's collected articles about himself and about Max Ryan. They find a scrapbook on all the women he's killed. He had like stalked them beforehand. And then I wrote, read montage. Read montage again. He's like going through the pages. He's like looking at words. And then he's like, but wait, the last few chapters are blank. Here's a question for you. Scrapbooks. Do they have chapters or pages? Scrapbooks have pages. You would have like... what I would call sections, but I don't think they have pages. They don't have chapters. They're not like a book. My book. mom's Yeah, my mom's scrapbook of me as a child. I don't have like a chapter, age seven. It's like Bailey's seven now. Like it's It's just like she's seven now. Yeah. Anyway, now yeah. she's eight and so, playing soccer. Like it's not like yeah. chapters. Yeah. Um chapters of our lives. Um, I feel like you would need like to designate it as a chapter, I would say there needs to be some sort of like page break or like title card page card or something like that and they also said like each like the pages are so detailed he can like relive his like killings and then they like showed a page that was like two pictures on one side and then like a picture glued over a handwritten page on the other side and i was like i don't know if i'd call that detailed his scrapbooking Um, skills are so lacking I mean, for a serial killer who's making a scrapbook that he had to look at for 18 years, like, spruce it up. Put some better on it. And some stickers, some little, like, subheadings, maybe, like, an artistic little blood splatter or two. Like, come on. If you're going to be a serial killer scrapbooker, like, be good about it, you know? Bubble letters on the front. Uh, Anyway, Greed is like, oh, I get it now. Unfinished business. So he puts together that the reason the ages of the women have aged up with him is because they were already on his list 18 years ago. So like Carla Bromwell, like the reason he was outside of her house when he got in a car accident was because he was on his way to kill her back then. Um, And so now he has like other people to kill. So they have to figure out like who it's going to be. And then it cuts back to the blonde woman and him. And the woman is like, what are you doing? I've known you for years. And he's, and BTK's being like super deliberate about it. He keeps like licking his lips and it's super gross. Um, and he starts, he puts the bag over her head. The swap bursts in and they can hear the woman screaming. 
Derek grabs him. Max Ryan like frees the woman, and then Derek is like, "Gideon, I need your cuffs." So Gideon like pulls his cuffs out, and then he's like, "Wait!" And he turns and he like hands the cuffs to Max Ryan, and is like, "You do it." And I wrote in all caps, "Catharsis." Yeah. Okay, here's where I was like, "Oh shit, Criminal Minds, you ding dong did it." So when Max Ryan looks at him in the face, they do this like flashback to him somewhere else. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So I went back to the beginning of the episode to Max Ryan's lecture and mm-hmm. Walter Kern is in the fucking crowd. Mm-hmm. He is in the crowd at the beginning of the episode. And then when, when Max Ryan gets that note on his car, Walter Kern is in that crowd too. Mm-hmm. Like Criminal Minds really said, oh, this one, this one has rewatchability. <laughs> this one says we're going to increase our rewatch value. Yeah. The um, folks who catch this one on syndication in 17 years are going to be just uh-huh. losing their minds. Gosh, ABC keeps playing season one, episode 15, and they can't stop seeing that man's face in crowds now. <laughs> um. Sorry, did you say ABC instead of CBS? Oh, dang. This is a CBS show, ain't it? This is a CBS show. The only, to be fair, the only ABC show that I know is Once Upon a Time, and I think it is now very hysterical to think of that crossover event. Anyway, CBS. A Once Upon a Time criminal mind cross. I'm so sorry. Can you imagine? I'm so sorry, but we need to go on this journey. Okay. Is, is, okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh huh. <laughs> murders have been killed, or sorry, murders have been committed, <laughs> and each one it resembles a fairy tale, but the like bloody version. So, like, two sisters are found dead in the house, and one has her toes cut off, and one has her heels cut off. That's Cinderella for you. Um, one of them is um drowns to death and like the inside of her thighs have all the skin removed like little mermaid when her lip legs fucking ripped apart like someone's doing that shit jesus christ yeah um (laughs) hi these are children's fairy tales so (laughs) these are children's stories yeah do you know the real story of little mermaid no but it sounds horrifying and honestly right now i don't want to (laughs) learn okay it's really like jesus christ um anyway so like Serial killings are being done like this, based on the original horrific uh, children's stories. Um, and so Commander Minds is like, okay, well, this is all happening like in this weird like Boston forest area. All these bodies are being found. So they go there and they end up in the town of Storybrooke. <laughs> and it's like the Criminal Minds people like know something is up. Because everyone is being so cagey. But it's just that, like, the Storybrooke people are like, we do want you to find this horrible serial killer, but also we are secretly magic people. And so it's like, it's like the criminal minds trying to, like, stop the killer from killing again. And, like, but no one in Storybrooke will help them because they're all afraid their magic will be found out. But then, like, in the end, um, uh, they 
they reveal their magical selves and they do find the killer who's like, you know, fucking gold or whatever. And then the whole Criminal Minds cast does wake up on the plane and they think it's like, oh, it's all a dream. But then the camera like turn goes outside of the plane and it turns around to the front of it and zooms in on the pilot. And the pilot is one of the seven dwarves. <laughs> that would be my storybook Criminal Minds crossover. I love it. I love the fact that the Criminal Minds gang would absolutely roast the shit out of Storybrooke's police department, which is just Emma and Prince Charming. Stop, stop. Pause, 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 pause. The entire episode is Emily Prentice and Emma Swan flirting so hard that JJ finally comes out of the closet and says, Oh my God, I would love that for her. I'm the only blonde you're allowed to have a crush on. And then when she comes out, it's revealed that Emily Prentice was and Emma Swan were like, yeah, bruh. <laughs> we did this on purpose. They had dated in college or something. <laughs> okay, we have to go back to the episode right now. We are de-evolving so fast. <laughs> De-evolution. Open up your notebook. Get back to your notes. Let's go. Let's All finish right. this one out strong, please. We have had so many tangents today. <laughs> I know. We're like literally so close to being done. Um, when Max Ryan is like cuffing uh, the Keystone Killer and dragging him out, the Keystone Killers are like, we're inseparable. (laughs) We're together forever. And Max Ryan's like, all right. (laughs) Okay. He's like, let's see about that. We'll see. Yeah. So then they go on the case, they get down the plane. And then, okay, here's the incontinuity. So Max Ryan tells a story about Gideon when he first started working at the BAU, how he was searching like a bomber's car and then Max Ryan and a couple of the other guys had planted the director of the FBI schedule in the car and Gideon found it and like took off running and like interrupted a meeting with like the director of the FBI and the attorney general because he thought I like, love that Gideon's character trait is just running places really fast without without it's, like it's, telling anybody where he's it going. It is it is bolting and screaming. And honestly, yeah. I kind of love that. Yeah. Anyway, well, but the reason this isn't in continuity is because later we learned that Gideon and Rossi started the BAU. So how are they? Oh, so how he... are, yeah. So how is Max Ryan, the guy who was at the Already BAU before there. him? Yeah. Yeah. With quote unquote, some other guys. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I can think of is it, it wasn't like the BAU, you know, like if Gideon and Rossi were in the FBI in a unit with, max ryan and they left to join they left to make the bau and then asked max ryan to join yeah or if that unit eventually if that unit like at the time wasn't called the bau but then would later become the bau well it was originally the bsu the behavioral science unit yeah thank you spencer reed um i was just gonna say don't you remember season one episode two compulsion (laughs) shut the fuck up (laughs) i love incontinuities anyway yeah but, like, when they started telling that story, I was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? They really don't care about even the most basic part of their own continuity. No. I mean. Okay. Elle is sitting. Oh, JJ is on the plane. She's, she's here. She's back. Uh, Elle is talking to Hotch. And it's like, you know, he doesn't have a family. He hasn't talked to them in years. And Hotch says, divorce is common in the BAU. Um, which is so funny because nobody gets divorced on the show. 
I mean, I guess well, Hotch does. Well, technically Hotch does. Uh, well, Hotch, not technically. He does. Oh, this is when I cringed. I even wrote, um, Hotch says, divorce is common in the BAU. Rip. He does get divorced very soon. He does. Yeah. And I was like, don't you think it's weird that, like, it was Saturday night, everyone was available to just drop everything and come in? Like, isn't that weird? And Hotch is like, no. And but, like, like, it is weird. But, like, it is weird. Like, not just that they didn't have anything else going on, but that they were all willing to, like, drop it. Like, I think Hotch was like, I didn't have any plans. And Derek was like, speak for yourself. You know, and it's something that we see a lot that they just, like, it really feels like if they are not at the BAU, they're sitting at home waiting to be at the BAU. Yeah, they they are on call all the time. And if they're not at home waiting to be at the BAU, they're hanging out with their coworkers from the BAU. Yeah. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah. But L is like, I. it's weird. Like, that's weird, Hodge, that this is all consuming like that. And then she asks, like, how do you have a job and a family? And Hodge says, you know, basically it's about setting your priorities and keeping them. You know, when I'm oh, with my family, I'm 100% with them. When I'm at work, I'm 100% at work. Um, but we know that this isn't true. You know? he Yeah, we know that he has a problem with being 100% present when he's with his family. Yeah. And, like, keeping his promises to his wife and newborn son. I mean, episode one, he's building a crib with this pregnant wife, and he gets a fax, and he just leaves. You know? Yeah. And, like, his, in um, Broken Mirror, his wife, yeah, Haley is, like, don't worry about it. Like, stay at work. They stay need at work. To do more than I do. Yeah. yeah, but like his wife is like in labor. Yeah, you know. So not like, to be like, I'm just built different. But if my wife was in labor and I was at a job and she was like, "No, stay there," I'm gonna be like, "No, what? you're in labor. That is our child. You are my wife." <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, not to be like, I'm built different than straight men, but I'm built different than <laughs> straight men. And I was worried about like losing her life. She's like, I'm worried that my entire life is going to pass me by or I'm going to have a chance and I'm not going to take it or I'm going to have it and I'm going to lose it. Like she gets very um, upset and Hotch is like, you just have to find a way not to let it eat you up. And that's kind of how the episode ends with all of them like in the plane. And there's like laughter on one end of the plane and then Hodge and Elle are just kind of sitting in silence on the other, which I think is interesting to like have that dichotomy exist on the plane itself. Yeah. And it, you know, it happens a couple of times we see people having private conversations, but it's interesting to me that Hodge like got onto the plane and said, no, thank you. And sat literally as far as possible. (laughs) As far as as he he could. As far as he could from Max Ryan and Gideon. Like he said, no, thank you. These old men have been a pain in my ass all day. I am getting some peace and fucking quiet over here. Thank you. It's interesting. I really love, now that we're doing this and I have an excuse to do these kind of like deep readings of the show. um, I think it's just really interesting that Hotch sat all the way at the other end and he's doing work. He's like going through case files, Mm -hmm. you know, and then Elle is like reading a newspaper, talking to him. JJ is kind of like right in the middle. She's reading the newspaper. She's like listening to the story, but also reading the newspaper. And then Derek and Reed, are like glued to Gideon and to mm-hmm. um, Max Ryan, 
they're just like glued like listening to all of these stories of like you know profiles of the past you know and I feel like Derek probably feels like he is part of that like bro FBI you know club yeah whereas Reed is like I want to be like that you know (laughs) yeah yeah there's a lot of interesting things to say about how they act on the plane before and after cases and everything it's really it's neat yeah I have one more thing it's I know we're digging way too much into something that is probably just like a decision somebody made when they were blocking these scenes out. Yeah. But I still think it is worth it to dig into these things like they're intentional because it's way fun. Yeah. And so interesting. So yeah. you were saying? I have one more thing. So there was a deleted scene in this episode. Ooh. Does it have a good name like a erotic love map? Oh, God, I wish. No, it was called like, um, Ryan annoys the team. <laughs> that's the subtitle for this whole goddamn episode are you kidding me i know so basically it's it's after Elle is like i'm gonna go dust the window for prince that after that part it cuts to her downstairs and uh derek is there and he's like hey you know is he getting on your nerves and Elle is like you know how like when you're part of a team you just kind of work well together and derek is like you finish each other's sentences and she's like exactly and then you get somebody new and it just throws off your rhythm. Um, and then Elle says, you realize he's been working this case since I was in middle school. And Derek goes, damn. <laughs> yeah, like that really puts it into perspective. And I hate that they yeah. cut it. I get why they cut it. It wasn't like important. It was like a character beat instead of like a, you know, case beat. But... um. It just really made me be like, that's why Elle's having this, like, crisis, you know? Because, like, imagine, like, being, you know, because Elle, if she stays at the BAU, is one day going to turn around and there's going to be a young, bright-eyed, you know, woman ready to get on there. And she's going to say things like, wow, you've been working on that case since I was in middle school. You know, and Elle's going to have that moment of like, well, shit. Where did my life go, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I just thought it was interesting that she, like, had done the math on that and that it was, like, sticking with her, you know? But also, can you imagine if you met somebody who was working on one singular case for the last 18 fucking years? There are people listening to this podcast right now who are younger than... (laughs) Criminal Minds, the show. Like when I show, no, but like our we're born after this man was hunting, you know, began hunting this guy. Yeah. It's just fucking insane. Yeah. I think it's just insane. This yeah. episode was like really way better than I thought it would be, honestly. I yeah. liked what they set up here. Yeah, you know, this is I think the first episode where like it like it was about a case, but like no it wasn't, you know. It's the first episode where it wasn't like, look how smart we are tricking you, you know, and it was more just kind of like about the world. Like it felt like a genuine episode of world building. I mean, think about how much we talked about the mm-hmm. message of the show about Elle, about Gideon, about the mirror, you know, there was a lot in this episode. There was a lot and we <laughs> have been recording for two hours and 45 minutes. So um, I'm not- um, we've been talking for a while. James... After all this, 
assign oh. a number value to this episode. One to ten. I'm gonna give this episode like a like an eight. I was also gonna give it exactly an eight, James. It's a, it's a season one eight, but it's an eight. Which yes. Which, again, to remind folks, number one, we will be putting all of the season one episodes against each other to find the best of the season. And also, in the future, we're going to compare the best of the best to the worst of the worst of all the seasons. So, remember when we say, this is a season one eight. It's probably like a season four six, maybe, you know? I cannot wait. Until we compare the ten that is demonology to the <laughs> to the one that is ride the lightning. <laughs> but remember, I liked ride the lightning. Kind of, sure. I gave it a four. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> the next episode of Criminal Minds one sixteen is the tribe, and I don't know if you remember that one, but it oh. Is bad. Oofa doofa. Yeah. No, I re- Oh. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna. You and I are gonna have to talk a little bit about how we're gonna talk about all that. <laughs> mm, we're gonna talk about interrace casting. We're gonna talk about um, the legacy of trauma. We're gonna talk about fuck the government. Ooh. Girl, we're gonna get I'm... to talk colonialism. We're gonna get to talk. Oh my god, we're, we're gonna, gonna talk... get to talk. We're gonna be like, what was woke in two thousand and five? The answer is not anything in that episode. So no, <sighs> I know I sound very not excited to talk about it, but I am excited to talk about it. I just know that you and I are both gonna have to do our research beforehand. <laughs> That's it for this episode of Wheels Up, y'all. As always, uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WheelsUpPod. Also, if you'd be so kind as to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, it really does help us out a whole lot. I appreciate all of them, and I read them all, and I hold them very close to my heart. James, mm-hmm. give me an ending quote. All right, let me look through my notes here. Ooh, the ASMR is very nice. As Garcia says, lists are my specialty. <laughs> I love that one because, like, me too, Queen. Queen, queen me of good too. Lists. Me too. I love a good list. Let me take a note on my page seven of my list of this episode. <laughs> list of my. Sp-